Amen. Turn to your late neighbor before you see them and say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is good. Go ahead and be seated in the presence of the Lord. The five most important things in my life are the five most important relationships in my life. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Genesis 2, 15 to 17 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Well, that's a passage of Scripture for us that begins with priorities. What's most important? If I was to ask you, what is the most important priority in your life, or what is your most important relationship in life? I wonder what you'd put down as number one, number two, number three, number four, and number five. You know, many times marriage conflicts occur between husband and wife because they don't share the same values. They don't share the same priorities. They don't put uh, their relationships in the same order. Let's say the husband might really value work as a means by which to provide for his family as an act of love. And, and the, the wife might really value the children because God gave them to her and she has that mother's heart. And work is most important to the man. Children is most important to the, to the wife. And uh, that creates great conflict because they will come into uh, just battle with each other. And I've learned this, that if you don't get the very first one right, you'll never get the others right either. Because if the first one is not right, and we'll go through this, if the first one is not right, the others cannot be in proper order. So we're going to go through this and see uh, what the Lord has for us. The book of Genesis, Genesis literally means beginnings. And so in the book of Genesis, you see the beginnings of many of the major truths and doctrines of Scripture. And right here we find the first man named Adam. And he's like the prototype, isn't he? He's the first man. And we'll find as he began his life, as God created them there in the Garden of Eden, he began his life in a personal relationship with God. And after some time, he was alone and was not good for man to be alone. God then made him a wife suitable for him. And so he had a relationship with God, a relationship with his wife. And he commanded them to what? To be fruitful and to multiply. So they bore children. So we see in the book of Genesis and the order of creation, how God made Adam and then what he made for him after that, we find the most important priorities in life. Well, let's take a look at this. My number one priority in life should be, according to Scripture, according to Adam as the prototype or the pattern, is my personal, intimate, eternal relationship with God. We find that right here in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. My personal, intimate, eternal relationship with God. Personal, intimate, eternal. Personal, intimate, and eternal. What do I mean by personal? God put him in the garden. So God has a place for you. I really do believe that. Sometimes we, we have like that nomadic spirit about us, and we wander back and forth. And I want you to know that that's not what God intends. He has a place for us, a home for us. 
And that's what God did with Adam here. He put him in the garden. That's where he was to be, right there in that garden. Now, the whole world was created, but in that garden, we don't even know how big that garden was, but in that garden, God placed that man. He put him right there. And I think it's important for us to know the place that God has for us. I live in this state. I live in this city. I pastor this church. I live in the house that I live in because I have sought the Lord and followed the Spirit, and that's where God put me. He put Adam in the garden. He put me right here for the past 37 years. I know where my roots are or go down deep. Also, God has a work for you to do. He put him in the garden to tend and to keep it. You know, my dad, he had a lot of sayings, and uh, one of the sayings was this, the oldest profession known to man is prostitution. And of course, that's not true. The oldest profession is to be a farmer. God put him in the garden to tend it, to keep it. Adam and Eve worked the soil. They worked that garden. They tended it, and they brought forth fruit. That was the very first profession, the very first job, farmers, farmers. I remember when I came up here, I was talking to the pastor of the church, Pastor Judkins, who just celebrated, by the way, for those of you that know him, his 90th birthday. Can you believe that? Pastor Jack is the founder of this church, 90th birthday. He's the pastor that I got saved under down in Dayton, Ohio. But when I came up here, I remember I met him in the office in his home right there, uh, right down Clyde Road on Strathcona. And I met him and uh, he wanted me to uh, become the pastor of the church. He wanted to move on from Cornerstone Church. He felt like the Lord was moving him on. And he, and he was talking to me about the people and he says, in this church, there's a bunch of farmers. And I don't think I've ever met a single farmer at Cornerstone Church. But he said they're a bunch of farmers. I'm not sure where these farmers are. Do we have any farmers in, in, in the church here this morning? Any farmers? See? He said they're a bunch of farmers. I said, really? Okay. I just took it as gospel, and then I got to know the congregation. I don't think I'm, I remember one time we had a beekeeper come to church, and he brought us honey when we lived in a little tiny building there in the corner. Uh, is that farming, being a beekeeper? I don't think so. Anyway, just farmers here. But anyway, that was a work that God gave Adam to do, to tend it and to keep it. And God has a work, a purpose for each one of us, a place and a purpose in our personal, intimate, eternal relationship with God. And uh, the scripture says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, obviously this is what was happening before the fall. And of course, after they sinned, they hid from the presence of the Lord. And it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden. They heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden. Now think about that. This is something I believe that God would do towards evening, the cool of the day is he'd come down and walk in that garden, and they'd hear his voice. They'd speak to him. This is an intimate relationship with God. You walk with God. God talks with you. You talk with God. You love God. That's what God established right there in the garden with the first man. He wanted to walk with him. 
He wanted to talk with him. He wanted to love him. And that's the intimate. It's a personal. God has a place for us. God has a purpose for us. Intimate. God wants to walk with us. God wants to talk with us. God wants to love us. I was telling the early morning prayer meeting group about uh, my, my night last night. I tend to wake up a lot, so but this doesn't happen very often. I woke up probably around 2 o'clock in the morning, and I became aware that on the inside of me, my spirit was singing. It was singing a song that I used to sing years and years ago. Matter of fact, I learned it when I uh, worshiped the Lord down in Dayton, Ohio, at Centerville First Baptist Church, the church I got saved at. And it was, Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. Anybody here ever hear that chorus? Some of you, very few of you have heard that chorus, but that chorus was just singing on the inside of me, loud and clear, like the Holy Spirit was quickening my spirit, and even in my sleep, I was worshiping God. It was a wonderful experience. Then I'd fall asleep, then I'd wake up, because I fall asleep, wake up quite a bit during the night. I'd wake up maybe an hour later, I'd become aware that my spirit is still singing that song. And then from that time, clear to 6 o'clock in the morning, the alarm finally went off. I woke up, and guess what? I'm still singing that song. God wants to have a personal, intimate relationship with us where he walks with us, he talks with us, he loves us, we love him. He's more than just a thought. He's more than just a doctrine. He's more than just a religion. He is a living God that loves us. He wants to express his love to us, and he wants us to love him back. We are to walk with him. We are to talk with him. We are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Somebody say amen. Amen. So a personal, intimate, eternal, an eternal relationship with God. You know, in that garden, there was a thing called the tree of life. And that Adam and Eve were, were, were commanded to, because they were commanded to eat of any tree that they wanted except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, freely eat, and the tree of life was there. If they would have eaten of that tree of life, they would have experienced eternal life. Eternal life. But because of the fall, God had to come up with another tree that we call the tree of life. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. That when we believe... In that cross, we can live forever. God wants a personal, intimate, eternal relationship with each one of us. It starts right there, and like I said in my introduction, if you don't get the first one right, nothing else is ever right. You have to get that one right. And I do believe this, if you get that one right, it becomes so much easier to get the next four correct in that order of, or that sequence of, the relationships that are most important to you. What's the second one? Well, let's take a look at this. The second relationship is my personal, intimate, till death do us part relationship with my spouse, my wife. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. You see how the marriage relationship is more important than the mother-father relationship because you leave father and mother to be joined to the wife and they become one flesh. 
The Bible says they were both naked. That sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? The man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So a few things about this. We know that God put a deep sleep upon Adam. He woke up, and God presented Eve to him, this helper. And uh, the Scripture says the woman is the helper, the helper to the man. I, I will make you a help suitable, a help meet suitable for you. And so the moral of the story, men, is don't take a nap. You might wake up married. Exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. How about this one? I love this one. Adam is sitting in the Garden of Eden talking to God. He says to God, you have given me life, the purpose of naming every animal and plenty of food to eat. You've made me comfortable, kept me well fed, and a sense of purpose. However, I'm feeling quite lonely. Is there anything you can do to fix that? That's a good question. God replies, I will give you a partner. She will be called Eve. She will stand by you and support you. She will lift you up and force your rules. Be at your right hand whenever you ask. She will bear your children, raise them to your liking. She will feed you, clothe you, and take care of you. She will be beautiful. She will be graceful and warm. She will be kind and caring, thoughtful, and will always be there for you. But it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Adam and Eve, Adam's just thinking there, he's thinking about it. He says, well, what can I get for a rib? It'll cost you an arm and leg, this perfect woman. What can I get for a rib? Oh, I love that joke. I love that joke. I got another one. Adam and Eve had the perfect marriage. Adam didn't have to hear about all the men she could have married. Eve didn't have to hear about his mother's cooking. It's just the two of them. A perfect marriage. But that's the second priority, is my personal, intimate, until death do us part relationship with my wife or my spouse. We find in Genesis 2 the idea of leaving, cleaving, and knowing. Leaving, cleaving, and knowing. Leaving. The marriage relationship is greater than the parental relationship. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother. And, of course, my wife and I were empty nesters. We had two children. They have left us. And it was challenging. It was sad. But we got used to it. And now, what would I call it? A blessing? I'd call it a blessing. It's a blessing. Matter of fact, we got the one out in, Col uh, out in Colorado. They're doing great. Uh, Luke and Jen are celebrating 15 years of marital bliss. They flew down to the Dominican and stuck my wife and I with the three kids. You guys survived as well, didn't you? Praise the Lord. They left because they had to establish their own household. That's biblical. The personal, intimate, until death do us part relationship with our spouse. Cleaving. That word cleave literally means to stick together with glue. It's something God does. In Matthew 19, verse 6, Jesus is talking about marriage. He says, what God has joined together. What God has joined together. So in a marriage relationship, God joins you together. You leave mom and dad. You cleave to your spouse. You stick together like glue. Now, this is important because life and problems will try to pull you apart. The devil wants to do all he can to get in the middle of that relationship. And if he's in the middle of it, then there's distance between you and your spouse. But God wants to join you together. You're supposed to cleave, to stick together like glue. Crazy glue, 
Gorilla Glue, some type of glue that, man, you just can't break that. Those whom God hath joined together, let no man do what? Put asunder. Divorce was not God's idea. Let no man put asunder. That is not the perfect will of God. Leaving, cleaving, cleaving, and then knowing. Adam knew Eve. There to be one flesh. The idea of the sexual intimacy. Sex was to be a unifying action they entered into together that was to be unlike any other connection. It was specially designed by their creator to be the single most intimate action two humans could experience. Within covenant marriage, sexual union is a binding force that draws the couple together as one flesh. They discover and share with each other in ways that are exclusive to the couple and creates a sacred unity. So we find here that marriage provides that companionship and commitment and intimacy. It's a divine institution. God created marriage. And if you're a believer, you believe Scripture, you believe Genesis is the beginnings of doctrine, the beginnings of what's most important, we find that in the book of Genesis, God began this institution called marriage. It's under attack. It's under attack by our culture. It is. But I want to know we're believers. So as believers, we believe God. We believe God's word. We believe what the Bible teaches about marriage. And marriage is between one man, one woman, in a covenant relationship until death do you part. Somebody say amen to that. We just need to affirm ourselves in those truths, all right? So we find the very first two. My most important relationship is my personal, intimate, eternal relationship with God. My second one is my personal, intimate, until death do us part relationship with my spouse. What's the third? Well, the third is my personal, intimate, until they leave home relationship with my children. We have the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And we know that uh, the story between Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam and Eve, that story, Cain, filled with jealousy and anger, ended up killing Abel, his brother. And here's a good thing. How long did Cain hate Abel? Well, as long as he was able. When, when Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, what'd they do? They raised Cain. That's what they did. They raised Cain. I need to go back to the marriage jokes. You guys like those better. <laughs> Children are a gift from God, aren't they? They're not supposed to be a burden. The Bible tells us in Psalm 127, verse 3, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. A gift. You know, in our culture, many times we look at children as a burden, an extra cost, something that hinders us in our life pursuit. We want to be happy. We want to be carefree. And uh, we look at children as something that burdens us down. But the Bible says children are a gift from the Lord. That word gift there in Psalm 127 is actually an inheritance, an inheritance from God. Something that God gives you that's supposed to be with you and supposed to, supposed to be part of your inheritance in the Lord. 
a gift or a heritage from the Lord. And so we need to refocus our thinking. Our culture might say that they're a burden. Don't bring them in. Don't you realize there's population explosion? Don't you realize there's climate change? Don't you realize your carbon footprint's going to grow? Don't you realize that they can keep you from your career or place limitations on you? But all that might be spoken into your heart by culture, but the Word of God says they're a gift from God. The fruit of the womb is His what? Reward. Now that's the perspective we need to have. That's called having a biblical worldview. You look at life through the lens of Scripture. You see things the way God sees things. Children are not only a gift from God, but children are the responsibility of the parents, not schools or government. In Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. God has given me these children. The story of Hannah, there in the Old Testament, she gave birth to Samuel the prophet, says, for this child I prayed. For this child I prayed. Now, some would say it takes a village to raise a child, or it takes government to raise a child. But I want you to know the Bible says it takes parents to raise a child. And you've been given that responsibility and mom and dad, and you need to take that authority and the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, On these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Whose children are they? Your children. Your children. Children are to be trained, according to Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go when he is old. That literally means old, literally means in the Hebrew, bearded. You know, when, they, when, when that child reaches adulthood. It's not talking about elderly, when they're, when they're 85 years. I don't want to say 85 years old. There might be somebody 85 here today, and I don't want to call them elderly because that's middle-aged as far as I'm concerned. So it, when, when they turn 150 years old, when they become elderly, that's when they will no longer depart from when they're old. No, it's, it's the idea of bearded. Idea of, you know, I started growing whiskers when I was 16. Little tiny hair started growing on my lip area. And I was a waiter at a restaurant, and uh, it was a nice restaurant, and I still remember the manager came up to me, and they saw little hairs growing out of my, my lip area, my chin area, and uh, the manager pulled me aside and said, you need to shave. I was about 16 years of age, and I, I was so happy, so happy. You know, what do young lions do? Well, they grow hair. They like to grow hair on their face. Young lions do. Sign of their power, as it were. And uh, so I went home and said, Dad, I've been instructed that I need to shave. And so he got some shaving cream, bought me a a, a razor blade, and and taught me how to shave. I still remember that. And uh, I remember him saying this because I was so happy to shave. Very first time I shaved, so happy to shave. I remember him telling me, now, after a while, you'd wish that you never had to shave. And I reached that. Some time ago, every day I shave, I shave, and uh, it's a pain to shave. Yeah, all the guys understand that, don't they? But children are to be trained. 
trained up by who? Their parents. You know, the culture might say, well, you know, once they go to school, it's not your responsibility any longer. You you just leave them to us. And I say, that's crazy. They are your responsibility. You've been given authority and responsibility by God Almighty. And don't relinquish that. The word train has some meanings to it. That word train in the Hebrew literally means to teach or instruct. So train up a child, teach them, instruct them. It also means to discipline them. Like you put a bit in a horse's mouth, a bit in bridle, and you discipline them or bring them into submission to that bit and bridle. The idea of training up a child is bringing them into submission. You discipline them so that they might learn to respect and honor your authority. Why is that important? Because little kids, little problems, teenagers, big problems. Start when they're little, that they might respond to your authority. So ultimately, who's, who, who has ultimate authority? God does. Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me, right? He has ultimate authority. Did you know that when you discipline your children and bring them into submission, where they begin to respect your parental authority, you are setting them up to bow their knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ and honor ultimately God's authority. Somebody say amen to that. So train, it means to teach them. Teach them what? Teach them Scripture. Teach them the Word of God. Teach them biblical values. It means to what? Bring them under. It also means the midwife would take dates and put it on the roof of that little baby's mouth and create a sucking instinct, create a thirst so that it might be, uh, would, would, uh, would uh, take to, to being nursed. And the idea here is that uh, that midwife would train that child, create a thirst in that child for milk. And did you know to train up literally means to create a thirst in your child for God. Create a thirst in your child's heart for God. And I, I think one of the greatest ways you can do that as parents is what the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, that the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, so not legalistic rules, and major on things that are not that important, meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. The Bible says that if you serve the Lord with righteousness, peace, and joy, you are acceptable before God and approved by men. In other words, your life filled with God's righteousness, God's peace, and God's joy, becomes attractive to those that get to know you. And you literally become salt and create thirst in your children to where they want God, they want to know the Lord, they want to experience His righteousness, peace, and joy that they see in you as mom and dad. Train up a child. Teach them. Bring them into submission create a thirst in them. And that word train can also in the Hebrew means to dedicate them. You give them to God. You dedicate them to the Lord. Now we have an infant dedication service and uh, we honor that and we believe in that. But it's more than that. Did you know that uh, as you raise those those children, you are constantly giving them to God? dedicating them to the Lord. And uh, some of you right now, uh, when you pray for your children, you, you just place them in God's hands. Lord, I don't know what to do, but I am giving them to you. 
I'm placing them ultimately in your hands because you have the key to their heart. You know how to reach their spirit. I don't know many times what to do, but Lord, you're their creator. You're their God. You know their inmost being. So Lord, I give them to you. Work in them, O God. Somebody say amen to that. So we have our personal, intimate, eternal relationship with God. That's number one. Then our personal, intimate, until death do us part relationship with our spouse. That's number two. Number three relationship is our personal, intimate, until they leave home relationship with our children. And then number four and five, I'm going to do this together because we get these confused a little bit. Our personal, how would I, how would I write this down here? My personal, intimate, till the rapture, relationship with my local church. That's number four. Number five, my personal diligent until I retire relationship with my work or my boss. Okay, I want to explain this to you. Genesis 4, verses 2 to 4. She bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a tiller of ground. So Abel was a shepherd and Cain was a farmer. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and other fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. So in some way, it's really not clear, but in some way, Abel's offering was accepted. Cain's offering wasn't. Maybe because Abel brought his best to the Lord and Cain didn't. Maybe uh, Abel brought a blood sacrifice and Cain didn't. There's a lot of different ways to look at this. We really aren't sure, but the Lord received Abel and his offering and didn't receive Cain's. He saw something in that offering or in Cain who was offering the offering, something he didn't like. And of course, this really angered Cain. He was angry with God. He was jealous of his brother. He ended up murdering his brother Abel. But in this story, Cain and Abel brought the fruit of their work as worship to the Lord. They brought the fruit of their work. Remember, Cain was a farmer, the fruit of his work. Abel was a shepherd, the fruit of his work. He brought it to the place of worship. Now, the Scripture tells us that you are to bring the fruit of your work, your tithes and offerings to the storehouse the place of worship, the local church. Okay, so why is church a higher priority than work? Well, follow along with me. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 4 to 7, Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. This is talking about Abraham and Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a type of Jesus. Abraham, the father of faith, was considered a great man, yet he tithed to Melchizedek. He gave a tenth of the spoils. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. So when Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. The lesser Abraham was blessed by the better Melchizedek. The lesser tithed to the greater. You always tithe upward. Everybody following that? You tithe upward. So when you bring the fruit of the work, 
the fruit of your work, you bring it to the place of worship, and there you tithe. The lesser work tithes upward to the greater, the house of worship. So number four, my personal intimate till the rapture relationship with my local church. That's the fourth most important relationship in your life. The fifth, my personal diligent until I retire relationship with my work. Now let's, let's do some problem solving, all right? Let's do some problem solving. If you're having trouble at work, being blessed financially, making enough money to meet your needs, always look to the next step. If you're having trouble at work, what's the next step above that, the next priority above that? It's your relationship with your local church. If you're having trouble at work, you're having trouble meeting your needs, work is not providing for you like it should, how is your relationship with your local church and bringing the tenth of your worship to the house of God. If you're having trouble at work, how's your relationship with your family? Because that's the next step up. Many times problems at work have everything to do with problems with the local church. And problems with the local church have everything to do with problems in the family. Many times people prioritize family in a way that hinders relationship at church, which hinders the relationship at work. Whenever you get the priorities wrong, you got to reprioritize your life. One interferes with the other. If you're having problems with your children, go one step up. How's relationship between husband and wife? Many times, relationship problems with husband and wife cause problems in the family. Problems in the family many times cause problems in the local church. Problems in the local church many times cause problems at work. And what about problems in your heart? Well, go one step up. Problems in your marriage, go one step up. Your personal, intimate, eternal relationship with God. Many times marital problems have everything to do with problems in your relationship with God. Always go one step up, and if that doesn't solve it, go one step further. And one, one thing I've learned is when my priorities are not aligned correctly or biblically, it's hard for the blessings of the Lord to flow downward. You know, the Bible tells us in Psalm 133 that the anointing oil comes upon the head and then flows downward to the bottom of the garment, Right? So the anointing or the blessing always flows downward. And so if problems are, our priorities are not right on the head, it has trouble flowing downward. Whenever priorities are out of whack, the blessings of the Lord, the anointing oil, ceases to flow in the manner that it should. I don't know about you, but I want God's favor, God's anointing oil, God's blessings to reside on me. And I want it not just to reside on me, but to flow downward to my marriage, to my family, to my church, to my work. What comes after work? Recreation, to my recreation. I want it all to be under the blessings of the Lord. But I'm telling you, you get these relationships 
out of whack and begin to honor some above those when those to be honored above those and then you get it all out of whack. I want you to know you sow discord. God loves things to be done decently and in what? Order. That's important, isn't it? It's important. Problem solving. How do you discover the source of your problems? Many problems, not all of them, of course, but many problems are the result of wrong priorities or values in our life. So we need to make sure that we are examining ourselves, having the courage to look inward and upward to see if our life is ordered according to Scripture. Adam is the prototype or the pattern. Genesis is the book of beginnings. This is how God began it. And I tell you what, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. You can't outsmart God. You can't live out of alignment, out of the flow of authority, and expect the blessings of the Lord to flow upon every area of your life. We must get in alignment with God, get in right priority with God, and if we would do that, oh, if we would do that, everything would be so much smoother and blessed of the Lord. You know, I know this, that oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. We want the oil, the anointing of God. I do know this, that oil just makes everything run smoothly. It, it reduces friction. It causes the parts to function the way they should. I want the oil of the Holy Spirit to flow in every area of my life. Somebody say amen to that. Bow your head in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's, let's, let's take a look at this. Number one priority. Let's just start right there. My personal, intimate, eternal relationship with God. Is that number one? It needs to be. It should be. It must be. It better be. Because if you don't get that right, nothing else is right. It starts right there. My personal, intimate, eternal relationship with God. That has to be number one. When I say number one, you just don't say it's number one. You live as if it's number one. You live as if it's number one in your life. You're living where God has placed you. You're living as he has purposed you. You are walking with him. You are talking with him. You are loving him. That means he's number one. If you're here today and God is not number one in your life and you know he needs to be, just raise your hand right now. Raise your hand and we will take you to the Lord in prayer. If God is not number one in your life and you know he needs to be, you're going to be honest. You're going to lift your hand and say, that's me. That's me. I'm a Christian, but man, I got it all out of whack. Other things are more important. Anybody want to say, that's me? Number two, your personal, intimate, until death do you part relationship with your spouse. I mean, you are valuing that. You love your spouse. You value your spouse. You realize God has blessed you with those children. 
but they're not more important than your spouse. Work is not more important than your marriage. Recreation is not more important than your marriage. You understand what I'm talking about here? And you know that you need to value your spouse more. And you're going to honor God in that. You're going to honor God in that. Just with your heads bowed, just say, yes, Lord. I'm going to make changes. Number three, your personal, intimate, until they move out of the house relationship with your children. All your children are so important. I realize women many times do not have problems with this. They just have that mother love. But fathers, we can turn our heart away from home to work, to play, to sports, to the making of money, to our career. Do you need to prioritize those children more in your life? Did God speak to you? And what about church? And what about work? You always tithe to the greater. You bring the fruit of your work to the greater, the local church, as an act of worship to God. Have you neglected the house of the Lord and prioritizing work over that? God can deal in your heart about that. Hallelujah. Let's all stand in the presence of the Lord. I trust that you did business with God as I was closing.